welcome to Not Quite Dead, a gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies. And sometimes we just keep a shot. I'm your host, Megan. I'm Kate. Get ready, because here come the spoilers. I finished watching this movie 30 minutes ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's very fresh. Very, very fresh. I took a lot of notes. Um, this is just an example. Maybe poor time management on my part, but maybe I'll be so fresh and full of insights that it'll be even better. It's really like not an insightful series, but you're doing a great job. <laughs> well, you went to the other end of the spectrum for this one and watched it twice. I just that just felt like there were so many things that I wanted to make sure I didn't miss. Um, I mean, I have all these tracking things that I have now. Um, like I've been tracking um, the license plates, right? Or or just anything that'll say where where this is taking place. I've just been checking to make sure that they're consistent on that. I've been keeping track of the timeline because I know this exists out there already, right? But this is our show and I want to track it for us and for myself and just see how I do. Um, Because I I remember like just any, all the times before when I've watched this movie, I've never given it this much thought Mm -hmm. and I'll get confused or I'll forget, you know, does that timeline make sense? Wait, like, why is Amanda there? Wasn't that Hoffman? You know, and I just want to see how well I can map it out. So I've been tracking that. And then I've also been tracking the nickname Jigsaw because I, you know, watching the movie, I, the first uh, episode, I feel like uses that name a lot more. It's more memorable. You see the Jigsaw piece cut out of people's bodies. And yeah. um, I, I feel like we start losing that, especially as we start hearing more of his backstory. They start using the word John. Um, yeah. So... I couldn't remember if that's a nickname they actually hang on to or not. And so far they have been. Yeah. Um, so I, I stand corrected, but anyways, yeah, I just, I wanted to go back and, and check for some of those things to make sure I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> There's also another, um, another element that I've been tracking in this show in, well, in this franchise. Um, and that's the transitions. Have you noticed any yeah. of these transitions? Oh my gosh, the transitions in this one are particularly egregious. <laughs> They're pretty wild. So there was um, there's a transition of a, a character in a scene would be walking somewhere or doing something in that scene. And then that would cut into either that same character or another character doing the same motion in the next scene. Like they're like stepping from one scene into the next. Um, I don't, I don't know how good that was. (laughs) (laughs) There's, there's also one with one of the early traps, um, and we'll get to that, but the, the woman in the trap is being thrown around a room and then gets tossed through this mirror into the next scene. (laughs) Yeah. And it's really, it's really interesting. Um, it's, it's, it's like a very, it's really and maybe I have some some speculation on why this one feels a little more surreal. I don't really want to use the word cerebral, but it feels a little cerebral in some places. Um, I do. I like Saw 4 better than Saw 3. Okay. Yeah. I 
which is surprising um, because I think typically you would expect like these movies to get worse as they go because of how many there are. Um, Saw 3, I think, was like a little bit of a drag. And like this one had um, so much going on that you're never bored. Um, there's some off-putting things in this one too. Um, and I think the whole conceit for it is kind of goofy that I guess we'll get, we'll get into. Um, but I'll say um, I've been tra- tracking some very basic things um, through this series. One of them is just the number of traps. We, we've both been doing that. How many they, there are, whether it's a trap that might be built by Jigsaw or Amanda or Hoffman and uh, who might have been aiding. So if you know we think that Lawrence Gordon might be aiding in it because it's a medical one, then we kind of note that too. And then the other thing that I have been tracking um, a little bit starting in the last one and then more formally in this one was number of flashback scenes. Um, Oh, that's a good one. Thanks for tracking that. And also flashbacks within a flashback. Yes. I've got that somewhat tracked in here too. Okay. (laughs) Where I noticed that there were flashbacks within flashbacks. I can't wait till we get to the crazy flashbacks and flashbacks, but I felt like this movie was definitely the movie of weird transitions. And I was like, I need to go back and check all these other movies. Um, Yeah. And a lot of these weird transitions that they do are actually practical effects. In fact, I think all of them might be, Um, maybe not the mirror, Um, but they, you know, when they have, when they show somebody just walking into the next scene and it's, you know, a totally different place, um, but it looks like they're just walking around a wall. That's literally what they were doing. Um, Yeah. There's actually a book. I I was, I was looking all this up because I wanted to go back and check all the other movies for their goofy transitions. Um, and this was something that was something that the director was just sort of interested in doing. Um, but they do talk about it in the book, um, American, sorry, selling the splat pack book about the American horror film. And you can get a preview of that on Google books, which was how I looked up, uh, the scene from, um, uh, episode two, cause I couldn't remember it <laughs> and it's there. So if you want to read more about, horror uh dvds um but yeah so so episode one we see danny glover's car is it is the actual transition into the next scene um in episode two it's eric uh matthews throwing on his jacket and walking around into the next scene which was practical they actually just did it that way um then in episode three, we see Troy, that uh, Native American dude in the beginning, his crime scene like blows up or whatever. And it goes into the tub with Carrie yeah. in the tub. It, they just yeah. sort of mash that up. Um, and then in this one, there were, yeah, like you called out already that um, the, the jacket and then um, this mirror. So yeah, they've been, they've been doing that. I'm not sure if this will, this will stick around um, as we switch directors, but yeah, it's kind of an interesting little stylistic choice uh, to track in these yeah this one was directed by Bausman, who also directed saw three mm-hmm. so it is interesting that it's a little more stylistic in this one um than in saw three mm-hmm. uh, i oh I, I meant to call this out so um i actually have the unrated version so i don't Ooh. know yeah did you watch the normal version or the unrated version <sighs> that's a good question i assume Cause I did buy this on DVD when I was younger, um, when it came out and 
I'm pretty sure I did my best to buy the unrated versions <laughs> when I could. So I couldn't tell you what what's unrated about it. I I, I mean, genuinely, it is only three minutes longer. Okay. <laughs> than the than the theatrical run. So I don't know. There were some scenes that I thought were maybe a little gross, um, but not grosser than things that we've seen before. So I don't really know what is unrated about oh wait I know one thing that might be really unrated about it um which is the very opening scene it's the yeah it might be that okay um let's let's jump in let's jump in all right so uh quick refresher um so at the end of saw three uh Jeff one of Jigsaw's victim uh victims actually kills Jigsaw and this movie right in the beginning seems to want to tell the audience that Jigsaw is actually really and truly dead. And the scene opens with him uh, getting an autopsy. Um, And the reason why I said that maybe this is the reason why why mine was unrated is because you can see Jigsaw's entire penis. (laughs) I wrote that down too. (laughs) I wrote in all caps and genitals. Ugh. <laughs> that's exactly how I felt. Like this, the movie like really opens with Jigsaw's corpse and profile, uh, and you can see like his dead penis. Yeah, um, this just hanging out. Wasn't FSW before? It, like, definitely is going to be in this one. Um, and they just kept showing like shot, shot, shot of his body, and you see his dick in all of the thoughts. <laughs> little. Little sad sack of a dick and, and ball set. Yeah. And thankfully at some point they do throw a towel on it. I was like, that's enough. We don't we don't need to see this. It's gross. Yeah. They really like <laughs> focus on it though. Um, they do spend a lot of time on his wiener. I mean, I guess it's, you know, hashtag feminism, right? Equal rights. I show know. boobs all the time. You gotta show a little wiener sometimes. <laughs> I don't know if this movie is like the paragon of feminism that I want. Maybe not. I have some complaints about it. <laughs> no, that that was what two movies ago. <laughs> two movies ago, I was just thinking about that as I was watching this. When we were doing the episode recording for Saw Two, we were, we literally stopped and clapped. We did how <laughs> they were against sexual violence and being pretty pro feminist, like not pro feminism, but just like they were truly equal. Like victims were being treated the same, whether they were male or female. Um, and then immediately in Saw 3, you've got that woman who's chained up naked. Yeah. In box and it's like, uh, okay, I guess we've seen naked guys, but not in like a really sexualized way. Kind of like yeah. was. And then in this one, there's Jigsaw's like penis immediately, but then like... The <laughs> like this, Although like, I wouldn't call that sexual. But I mean, it's, not it's just it's there. Lude. It's so. <laughs> it's well, <laughs> this must be where all the budget went. This autopsy scene is a mess. There is, it's, it's an entire body cast of Tobin Bell. They talk about this on the commentary for this video for this okay. movie. Yeah, so that is actually a a body double, uh, you know, dummy of his body so it's not really him I was wondering if they were using a body double because I wasn't convinced that Tobin Bell was that trim (laughs) 
I, I think his face looks, you can tell that his face isn't quite right. It, it's good. It looks dead. Yeah, like it looks it good. It is good. sunken, right? Like lifeless. It's very, um, it's very but, gray. Yeah. And yeah, they just, they made it as lifelike as they could, aside from the brain. Um, everything I was reading said, oh, you know, the brain would, would require a lot more work. But, you know, they wanted it to be a real body that you could sift through and have an autopsy on. So this is probably where, you know, all the $10 budget went. Um, they are looking for a cause of death, I guess, or just ruling out every other option, right? We know he got shot. Um, but they are still doing the autopsy and out comes a cassette tape covered in wax. And Kate, Kate, I was so upset at this point because I saw that and I was like, that's the tape that he was pouring wax on in the last movie. I remember that. That's a detail that I remember catching. Uh And then what do they do, Kate? What do they do to us? They do flashback number one. They give us a flashback. And I was like, guys, you didn't need to do that. It was so unnecessary. They have, I think it's, I don't know if it's them guessing that because these movies follow each other so quickly, Saw 3 came out in 2006, Saw 4 comes out in 2007. They're on that same cadence they are, you know, every every fall there's going to be another Saw movie. So um, maybe they assume that the audience isn't going to rewatch. I guess in anticipation. They I don't know why they wouldn't. I saw it in theaters last year. I'm ready to go for this one. So they need a refresher, but yeah. it's really annoying how many flashbacks there. God, there's too many in this movie in particular. It's, it gets to be really excessive where they just, I, I don't know. It feels like they assume that you're not going to either watch any of the movies leading up to this one or yeah. that it's been a long time since you've seen the last one this yeah they they are not making this for the fans it feels like they're making this for the bandwagon fans people who want to jump in once jigsaw is cool yeah we this is where we get to re-meet detective hoffman um he has a little bit more of a role in this movie than the last one, unfortunately. Again, my I think probably one of my least favorite characters in this franchise. Um, and he is a friar fuck from Sex and the City for anyone who used to watch that show. Um, that's, that's how I remembered him when I first saw him. I was like, oh, there's that friar that Samantha liked that I didn't think was very cute, to be honest. And he is, I just don't like this character. He is annoying to me. He's not really likable. I don't think he's supposed to be likable. He's just kind of one of those hard-ass detective stereotypes um, where he's just trying to get to the bottom of the crime. Uh, He's not really likable. Nothing really compelling about his character. Um, They throw some more shade into his character in this this episode or this movie of the franchise. So that helps a little bit. But yeah, I I don't really like him either. Yeah, so... Uh, Hoffman listens to the tape and it's a it's a jigsaw trap and jigsaw's telling him that even though he's dead that the games aren't over uh, and then after the opening credits uh, we get to our first trap our yes first trap of the movie this one's pretty grisly it is and it's really beautiful actually they're in a really beautiful room compared to all the other traps that we've seen up to this point especially yeah, these two guys, they're uh, in a mausoleum, so it's two victims. We're 
dropped in. We don't really know their backstory or why they're in there. And this this one really feels like um, very mythical, this concept. Mm-hmm. It feels like something out of a Greek tragedy or yeah. a Aesop fable because the, one of the victims, his eyes are sewn, sewn shut, so he can't see what's going on. He is changed by the neck to a device in the middle of the room. And on the other side of this device is chained the second victim whose mouth is sewn shut. And so the one whose eyes are closed, he's immediately in this panicked rage because he knows that there's someone there with him who he thinks is there, the one who's punished him and is hurting him. And the other guy can see that this is going on, but he can't communicate to him. And he can see everything terrible that's happening. Yeah, it's it's gross. Um, they're in this like Chinese finger trap kind of situation where if they like pull um, on the chains, then it will trigger a, a time release uh, trap at the end. And so the one who can see uh, can see this, but he can't communicate to the other guy. And they just end up getting into this terrible fight. Oh, and there are amazingly horrible tools just strewn around the room for them to kill each other with. Um, or if they were thinking <laughs> these are terrible tools that they could have used to cut the pieces. Or that. <laughs> if they had been able to stop and help each other, they wouldn't have triggered the trap. They wouldn't have had to fight and bludgeon each other over and over it's a horrible bloody fight the guy who can see of course has the advantage and he just like bashes him in the head over and over until until he's dead yeah I was gonna ask you um would you rather be able to to see and not talk or talk and not see like in this trap or in life? In this trap. Oh, in this trap. In this trap, I would rather uh, be able to see and not talk. Okay. I think. I think so too. Yeah, I think that if I had to rip out um, stitches like that, I'd rather do it for my mouth than for my eyes. Okay, I I was thinking about it from a standpoint of which am I more likely to survive with. And I felt like the guy who could see what, and he does end up surviving, right? Yeah. Um, he, he's able to manage the room a lot better, right? Well, the he, other, yeah, I think it's set up for him. To it must be because he is, he does end up being related to the rest of the, the plot. So, and he can see the, where the key is. That's right. not unlocked. Um, he can see all of the tools that are on the ground. The other guy just kind of stumbles into them. So it it does feel a little bit like a henchman recruiting trap, which it turns out that this is. This guy does become critical later on. So this switches us back to the detective plotline that kind of it was initiated during uh, Saw 2 and 3. We see the SWAT entering Jigsaw's lair. Um, and they've learned something from the past few movies. They are taking their sweet time and they even have a robot. They have yeah. a little robot scout. <laughs> so they did their own arts and crafts and brought their arts and crafts project to fight Billy. <laughs> the brand of the robot is real. It's like a little Mars rover. like yes. thing. And 
the brand is really prominent, like really prominent. And it's an iRobot, which is the same company that makes Roombas. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wait, so, is that a real company? Yeah. it's. A I real, don't have a Roomba. Yeah. it's That's the company that makes Roombas. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. I And here I was thinking, oh, this is just some like nameless, like generic name. There you go. <laughs> I just thought Roomba was Roomba. So they send um, these tools in. They're really cautious when they see that there's a, a video camera on them. They take it down immediately. They're super cautious of traps having lost dozens of police officers <laughs> at this point. Scores of officers. <laughs> and yet still, uh, as the SWAT team is rounding a corner, Detective Rigg, who is, I would say, our protagonist of this movie, yeah, and he's and he's been in it. He's been in it since the beginning, just as yep. a background character. Yep, and they put him front and center here because he sees through the the window Detective Carrie, who was killed in a trap in the last movie, and yeah. he just goes guns blazing like through this door, without any regard for there potentially being another trap or. Um, something rigged up to like shoot him in the face like there is in the other part of this movie. Yeah. Clearly and, has learned nothing. Yeah. He's just very hot headed. He he goes in there and of course he sees that Carrie has died. There's a little rat scurrying around on her head. <laughs> Gross. Uh and Hoffman dresses him down uh right there in the room, even though he's obviously mourning one of his previous teammates. Yeah. For, this for just happened. Yeah, he just learned that she's dead and Hoffman tells him that he needs to never enter through um, a door without checking it or, or an so, just don't door. go through yeah. running. Anyway. Don't don't go running through jigsaw doors really is the lesson here. Yep. So. Um, which is true, but really, you know, be a little more sensitive, Hoffman. Come on. Yeah, I don't think Hoffman, yeah, Hoffman here, you kind of, he just seems like a not good guy. And I don't think that they're being overt about it or anything. I think that we just know that this is where Hoffman's character is going. But you kind of get the sense that he's jigsaw-like or at least has a grayer set of morals. Rig tries to, he tries to tell him at one point that he doesn't understand how jigsaw could be helping people live. And Hoffman says really ominously, "Oh yeah, we chose this, and it's such like a superhero <laughs> line." Yeah, and it's yeah. so obvious that Hoffman wants like no work to get done. He is like, he's like the Who telling us all to shut down during coronavirus. He's like, you need to go home, take a vacation, hang out with your wife. Like, yeah. dude, he's just trying to be a good police officer. Right. Yeah. He's discouraging <laughs> him from asking literally any questions about an investigation yeah. that he's actively part of. <laughs> yeah. And we also get to meet two new characters, um, two FBI agents, uh, Agent Perez and Agent Strom. Um, and I have to talk about Strom for a minute. Um, so Zach, my husband, likes to bring this up every time we watch these movies. Um, he cannot tell the difference between Agent Strom and Detective Hoffman. He says they are the same person playing the same character in two different roles. And it's, I, I want to throw this out there. I want to see if other people agree. Like, are they hard to tell apart? I don't have a problem with it. But 
maybe maybe there's some merit to it. I don't know. Because it comes up every time. I did write down in my notes, FBI agent and Hoffman are maybe the same guy, question mark. (laughs) (laughs) They're really similar. (laughs) similar. I think think that it's because they're the same build. They're both really brusque detective type characters. And I will say that for 95% of this movie, I could tell them apart really easily. Probably because mm-hmm. Hoffman is in a trap for one thing. <laughs> but there was, <laughs> there was one flashback scene where in the scene previous, we had Strom in it. And then it cuts to a flashback where there's, um, I think it's also Strom, but all of the other flashbacks had been about Hoffman at that point or something. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's the other guy. And it was the, it was the same guy. And that's like, <laughs> oh, okay. But I think that that was because of the trickery that they were doing with how many flashbacks they were doing. True. In Maybe, and that they're kind of similar. But if you put them side by side, I don't think that they're. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah. But maybe they aren't setting us up for success with all these flashbacks. You're right. Yeah. I think that that, that has something to do with it. <laughs> we also learn about Urban Renewal Group, I think, around this time. We do because there's interwoven into this there's a lot of plots in this one we didn't really do a a plot summary before we dove in uh and I don't want to because they're (laughs) (laughs) let's fuck it it's our show (laughs) (laughs) well also because this one's got a really convoluted plot it does because of the number of flashbacks and the multi-tracks that are going on with the detectives and with rig being run through his own series of traps we'll see and there's some trickery with the time going on here too. So it just doesn't feel like one that you want to summarize cleanly. So I feel like just running through it is better. Yeah, we're doing the summary now. Yep, <laughs> Got to stick summary. around. It's a long form summary. <laughs> <laughs> but Urban Renewal Group was this um, development, right, that uh, John or Jigsaw was was involved with and this uh, – Sorry, not a development. It was a group that did development for needy people. And this explains how he has all of these property hookups. Yeah, he they introduced more backstory into John in this one in particular around his motivations for turning to the dark side, so to speak. And they really present him as being a guy who had a pretty normal life. He was doing work to build homes for lower income people in the city and seemed like a really great thing going for him as the detectives are doing their detective work I know Rig has you know a magazine that shows uh John on the cover it's a civil engineering magazine and we see like other things that he's been like lauded for and so we we just start to get the sense of more of who Jigsaw was before he became Jigsaw. Yeah. I You know, you were saying that you like this one better than 3, Saw 3. I actually, I find this one way more boring than Saw 3 because they do so much backstory. And we'll get, we'll go through the traps, but I was just not, I, I was not that impressed with a lot of the traps or I, I don't know, for some reason they didn't captivate me. Um, and I just, this, the back, the amount of backstory... Um, I, I think watching it, I'm like, I am, I'm here to watch traps. 
I don't care. <laughs> I want to watch the traps. <laughs> I don't like the backstory either. And I think that every movie that comes out, it even if the movie itself is okay, I think it overall makes Jigsaw worse as a character. They just tell you way too much about him. And give, they just, they give you too much. And there's not anything that you can do with it after it's been given to you. Yeah, so you're kind I really of stuck with it. With that. I think I had a lot of fun with this one because of how many flashbacks there are. There are, yeah. There's this one stretch in the movie, in like the back half of the movie, where it's, you can't go five minutes without getting a flashback. It's intense. There are so many flashbacks. So I was, I was enjoying kind of like metagaming the movie for things like that. After we get this scene with the detectives and the FBI agents, the FBI agents have stepped in because the local police force, who we don't know um, where they are, have just not been doing uh, a good job. And they're also all getting murdered. Yeah, (laughs) they're the ones, they're the ones that need help, actually. (laughs) So got to bring in a bigger entity. We get this kind of brusque introduction of the FBI agents. Of course, the local police force isn't thrilled that there is now the FBI on on the case. And we move from here into Rig at home with his wife, which is a pretty good trope in the Saw movie franchise of the rapidly declining marriage. Rig is not apparently the greatest husband because, again, he is just trying to do his job, be a cop. Um, and this upsets Jigsaw, of course, or whatever entity is representing Jigsaw at this point. We're not entirely sure as an audience. His wife decides she's heading out and she's letting him know that she's leaving and that she has been needing him. Um, but she doesn't get turned into a prop for his traps, which is sort of a nice, refreshing, (laughs) um, departure from what we've seen. I agree. I could not remember if they had done anything to Tracy, his wife, before. And I was a little concerned again because he he's left clues throughout all of these traps that remind him about of Tracy, where he even at one point thinks that maybe Tracy's decapitated head is in a box. But they don't actually do anything with her. She's not kidnapped. She's just kind of left out of it, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah, so Rig is at home um, with his wife. She she leaves. We get a quick cut back to the FBI agents who are speculating on Jigsaw's pattern and motives, and they've they've really noted that everyone who's in this circle of Rig and Hoffman um, have all died mm-hmm. uh, or been involved in a trap and gone missing, like Matthews. So. They debate, and Strom ultimately tells Perez that they're not going to warn Rig and Hoffman that there's any risk to their lives. He just wants to see it play out. So you have a couple, I feel like at this point in the movie, you have a couple characters who seem like they have shady motives. You've got Hoffman, who is, you know, just talking weirdly. Yeah. (laughs) Earlier on, where you're like, why are you why are you speaking in coded language here, Hoffman? Like that makes you seem like a bad guy, encouraging him to go on vacation and dropping the case, et cetera. And then then you've got Strom, who is a very similar hard-headed detective type guy who is 
seems to be invested in letting this play out as it plays out and the way he kind of treats the characters as they're going through these traps makes him just seem like a not great guy either yeah I remember not trusting him the first time I saw this just thinking I you know maybe he's involved maybe he's part of nobody yeah nobody seems very trustworthy even Riggs as we you know follow him on his hero's quest makes some odd choices I think um, oh, definitely. Yeah. And so we see close-ups of Rig at home and we see close-ups of Hoffman doing stuff. Yeah. Uh, we're not exactly sure what's going on, <laughs> but it, it, it looks shady as usual. Um, and this is when they start doing the quick motion flash uh, kidnapping, right? So uh, Riggs gets kidnapped. We see that happening. Someone's mm-hmm. wearing the pig mask. And what happens with Hoffman is very clever. We just see Hoffman standing there with a pig mask behind him. Yeah. And the scene, the uh, cinematography just sort of jumps forward. So it looks like maybe, you know, the pig is is a, a bad presence in the room. But we don't actually see the pig mask moving. We just see the camera shaking. They make it look like he could have been kidnapped too, right? Which which we'll see as we as we move forward. Um, but it's it's not quite clear what's happened to him if you're paying attention. If you're not paying attention, it just looks like oh he's been kidnapped too. Riggs kidnapping I actually thought was kind of creepy. Um, he's in his bedroom at night, and his wife has left and she hasn't come back home, and he hears movement outside of his bedroom door, and then he calls out and someone this masked hooded figure that you can't tell really who it is walks quickly past their door and that kind of stuff i think is super creepy i don't like it (laughs) i think that's the only like actual creepy thing like rising dread in a song that i really get like you get a little bit of that in Saw 1, too. But um, Rig, of course, gets out of bed to investigate what's going on in his own house. Rig is a SWAT guy, and he <laughs> walks shirtless from his bedroom to investigate his house. And he is so muscular. It's pretty wild. He is good looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So yeah, he's good looking, but more than that. Oh, okay. Is, <laughs> There's he, that shallow yeah. thing we're talking about. He's so he's so muscular that I refuse to believe that he couldn't fight off any of the henchmen, including if it was Hoffman, you know, like he gets yeah attacked in his own living room and I felt like unless they were going to like chloroform him or do something, like he had a really good chance of fighting off whoever was going to kidnap him. Yeah. And also his house is undergoing all this renovation. So the house itself just looks spooky. There's all this plastic hanging up and a breeze going through where there's, you know, missing doors or windows or whatever. Um, and it looks very ghostly, actually, as he's going through it. It really reminded me of, um, you know, those haunted mazes that you do at amusement parks oh, yeah. for Halloween. Yeah, it looked very like, oh, here's a Halloween set. They they made it look very spooky, I thought. Have you seen Dexter? I have not. Oh, okay. I know. Uh, you would enjoy it. Um, I know. It's very Dexter-like. 
very Dexter-like. Okay. <laughs> uh, because it's the same plastic draping and lighting effects that even Dexter did. So it felt a little like a little homage to Dexter in that mm. scene. Dexter <laughs> is a serial killer who he's obsessed with keeping the the rooms clean as part of his whole deal. And so he drapes pla- like plastic kind of elaborately over his killing floor. Oh, like so. a like a sixties mom or something. Yeah, like plastic yeah. covering your couch. <laughs> covering all the couches, yeah. But yeah, so this this test trap that sort of falls upon Riggs, I call Riggs Riggs does his job. Because basically his <laughs> test is just hey, you're obsessive about your work, um, so don't be. And I just found that so insulting, you know? He's a police officer. He cares about um, his fellow cops. He, uh, you know, cares about victims of crimes, and now he's being punished for it. Yeah. Um, but as we find out, as he goes through his his quest, really he has the easiest test of anybody here. All he has to do is sit in his room. That's it. If he sat still, he none of this would happen. Like there would be no soft war. Um, so good thing he didn't because that'd be very boring. But he does have a very easy test. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't get it though. The first thing that he sees, he hears movement from outside of his bedroom, and so he. He's very clever. He immediately goes and finds his gun that he's hidden and loads it, which means that he is a police officer who keeps his gun <laughs> relatively safely, <laughs> which is pretty great. Um, he checks for his cell phone, which is also great. His cell phone is broken, and then his house phone is gone, and there's a note from Jigsaw that says no phones. And he he guesses correctly that if he just rips the door um off off of its hinges that some kind of like trigger will happen mm-hmm. and so he's, he's learned that from the earlier scene with Hoffman where Hoffman's like you got to test all doors so he goes he goes through it eventually when he figures out it's not going to like shoot him through the door a la Satu and he sees in his living room that there is a, a woman in her own trap yeah the scalp peel treatment it was really hard to watch. I hate this trap. It's so really gross. It looked like it was fun to shoot, but man, it's nasty. This is sort of a throwback trap to um, Ned, that one random guy in episode one. Yes. Um, do you remember when the cop shoots the gears and it actually stops the trap? Yep. Yeah. So in this trap, she is tied down to this chair and her hair, she has very, very long hair, and it's woven in through these gears. Mm-hmm. And the trap is, well, not yet, but at some point, uh, it triggers to initiate. And what it's doing is it cycling her hair through this crank. Yeah, it's like her her hair is caught within these gears, and her hair is so thick and so wound into these gears that just trying to rip her hair, which you can't rip hair. That's not a like a thing that a person can do with their hands. It, it right. wouldn't work anyway. Like he, and Rig sees this. And at first he is skeptical of, of who she is because she's wearing a pig mask. And so he kind of points a gun at her, demands to know who she is, surrounding every 
every wall is covered with photographs too. And so eventually Rig rips the mask off, sees it's a woman. It's not Tracy. It's just a woman he doesn't know. And she's gagged. And so he pulls her gag off and she's screaming and crying. And of course, um, a, the tape plays with Jigsaw on it and the timer starts counting down. The gears start going. He is scrambling to find anything to cut her hair off because it's in a thick ponytail. There's really, yeah, like you said, there's nothing he can do about it. Um, he can sit there and actually try and solve the trap by finding the the password, the code, or he can try to cut her hair. And that seems like the obvious easier choice at this point. Except Jigsaw has removed everything sharp from his house. Yeah. <laughs> he goes through every drawer in every room. So Rig, when he's woken up from his initial trap before he even leaves his bedroom, he is shown a tape by Jigsaw that shows that Hoffman and Matthews are trapped in a warehouse somewhere. And within 90 minutes, they'll die. Unless, you know, Rig does nothing. That's that's the joke of this whole thing is that he has to do nothing. And so he goes out there and he's like scrambling around his house to find a knife or something to save this woman. And it's burning time. And that's the only thing I could think about for so much of this movie is that he has 90 minutes and he's burning all this time. And you as the audience, you want him to hurry up because you're like, you only have 90 minutes. Like, and then the joke of it, of course, is that like all of these things were designed to burn time. He should have just taken a nap. He would have yeah. helped a lot more people that way. Had a little um, So he can't find anything sharp. And this is where I say the throwback comes in because he tries shooting the gears to make it stop. And it looks like it does stop for a minute, um, which which happens in episode one, except that trap actually does stop working so I think it's that that was a cool um little maybe it's an easter egg maybe it's meant to be something you catch you know but there's no flashback so probably not um (laughs) so we we know that Jigsaw has learned something about his traps and he's now made it bulletproof um but the traps kicks back up again it really starts peeling her hair oh man she starts getting a scalp treatment it is so gross Uh, We even get to see some CGI blood right here, which I thought was really obvious, but kind of fun. Yeah, it's really gruesome. It's as gruesome as you can imagine someone getting scalped by their hair getting pulled. That's so gross. He is trying everything he can to stop it. And he eventually realizes that in true Jigsaw fashion, (laughs) there's multiple ways to get out of a trap, that there's actually a combination lock on it and the combination is written on the gears and so he has to just let the gears turn without interrupting them so it's another thing to tell him he needs to slow down um meanwhile she's getting totally eviscerated up top her scalp (laughs) Um, is flapping around in the breeze it's so gross he does eventually free her and he is a good guy. He runs off to go get her bandages or something. And how to a drink. <laughs> yeah. Nice stiff drink. Yeah. She repays him by um, attacking him as soon as he <laughs> <laughs> What does she attack him with? Because there's nothing sharp, right? No, did... no. 
oh, maybe this is part of the uncut edition. <laughs> well, she does something open up for her. I forget. Yeah, she does have something flashback. to attack him with. There is a flashback that shows that she was given her own tape. So she is in a trap, right? And right. so she's given a tape that says that a police officer is going to try to save her, but if he saves her and she lives, he's going to send her to prison for working as a sex worker. Mm-hmm. And so she must kill him with the thing that is hidden underneath the television. And so in a flashback, when he is running around, it shows her um, listening to that tape and then going under the TV and finding this knife. And this knife has um, a G on it, which a the G is a thing that we see throughout this movie that's supposed to be a hint to where things are taking place. What? And I totally location, missed this. The location. Yeah. There's G's, <laughs> there's G's all over this movie. Oh, man. Okay. I can't wait to hear you call them all out to me because I totally missed this. I did not catch this. <laughs> yeah, there's, um, so essentially Hoffman and Matthews are being held in part of the same warehouse network that the other movies take place in that is part of Gideon meatpacking. Yes. Yeah. And Gideon is spelled in a specific font. It's like this chunky G font. And so within like various parts, they, this G is on things and the knife that that Brenda, the sex worker tries to kill rig with, um, it has a G on the blade. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's a good catch. I feel terrible for missing that, Kate. It's all right. It might have been part of the end. <laughs> we can blame the whole movie on that. Yeah, we'll do that. Let's take a break. Okay. back to the scene with um Brenda fighting with Rig and Rig eventually kills her by pushing her into a mirror and this is Megan where one of your transition scenes happens yeah she goes through a mirror a glass mirror it shatters and now she's in the next scene except she's not really but that's how they do these wacky transitions (laughs) it's very um very dynamic there's just you know it's like why should we stop the scene let's just keep the whole flow what they what they have going on is an energy and and it's the same energy from one scene to the next just a different scenario a different storyline but they want to keep that energy going and I think that's why they do these transitions but they're really fun and when you catch them um you just sort of enjoy them (laughs) yeah kind of goofy you don't really see much (laughs) anything like this um anywhere else yeah very seamless it's kind of like fun I I have yeah at the end when we get to kind of the major twist of the movie I want to speculate on why the transitions are so seamless okay so uh, 
at this point we do get a flashback um the scene kind of back with the detectives i don't think is really fruitful um they they chat and then we get a, a flashback they mention matthews and kind of rig and hoffman's connections to various people who've been killed they mentioned matthews and we yes. get a flashback at this point to what <laughs> happened to matthews now the detectives no one knows this. We know a little bit of it because we've seen all of the other Saw movies. So it does show us that Amanda and Eric fought and she really grievously injured his foot. But he doesn't die. She doesn't kill him in this scene. She just kind of, she looks back at him and that's where it ends. So we know as an audience that he's probably not dead and the police are treating this like it's a missing persons case, not a murder case. Yeah, this is the part in the movie where I start referring to Eric Matthews as Duddits. Um, <laughs> have you seen Dreamcatcher? No, I haven't. Yeah, Donnie Wahlberg is, um, he is, he's a secondary character, but also a very central character to that, that movie. Um, and he has a speech impediment. And his name is Douglas. The character's name is Douglas, but he can't say it right. So he calls himself Duddits and they all call his friends, call him Duddits. So I start calling him Duddits here because he just looks so pathetic. He's got this long mangy hair, this twisted foot. He's in this weird jigsaw prison. It looks like, it looks like uh the chateau de deef or something it looks terrible and he befriends a little rat and he eats a lot of green food and it's just really sad poor guy yeah it's not not a good time to be eric matthews no or did it in general (laughs) and this leads us to the next trap um this is the the ice cube trap um that connect that bonds duddits with hoffman um Matthews, aka Duddits, is hooked up to this. He's he's hanging in in some fashion um, by the neck um, and balancing on this ice block, so it's very slippery. And he's looking very miserable and dirty and tired. Um, and as it melts, he will potentially get strangled. Um, and next to him, um, sitting in this pool of collecting water is Hoffman who is strapped to a chair and he will be electrocuted um it looks like potentially in this trap so that we don't know all all the details of this trap as we as we see it but it this is what it looks like it's an ice cube that connects these two detectives together in different ways yeah and they really played this up in the movie trailers mm-hmm. I remember I remember the specific ice block trap, I think because it's not gruesome, so you can actually put it into a movie trailer. And it is the central trap, but it's pretty funny how, like, of all the traps that get so much time in this movie, the ice block probably cumulatively gets, like, only, like, three minutes of playtime. Yeah. But it was really hyped in the trailers. Yeah, probably because of the ending, which I love. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that. <laughs> So that's a, another trap. Um, so I, to this point, have four traps. Me too. Okay. Perfect. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> okay. So then we get this scene, which is still pretty early on in the movie, um, 
I feel like we do this every podcast episode where I'm like, okay, so pretty early on in the movie, this thing happens and we've been recording for like 70 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, it's been less than 60 minutes. So, (laughs) but yes. (laughs) So the FBI agents, Perez and Strom are debating who they think might be helping Jigsaw at this point. And Strom is like, it's probably Hoffman. <laughs> For whatever reason. Yeah. And then and then they kind of fall back and say like, well, maybe it is Rig. Maybe Jigsaw's been grooming him. And so they try and like, it's so funny that they just land. He just is like, it's Hoffman. But then because. Yeah, because Hoffman's a dick. He is. And he was he so. not anyone to work. Yeah. He's so evasive when they're questioning him. And. I think that they just throw out there that they think that it could be Rig and maybe Jigsaw's grooming him because they want the audience to be afraid that Rig is going to somehow survive this and then just get arrested by the police. Yeah. Like one of Jigsaw's henchmen. So that adds a nice kind of degree of tension, even though it's like totally just manufactured. Yeah. Yeah. And the other person they decide to get involved in their investigation is Jill Tuck. And Jill Tuck, girl, I just love your hair. I wish I had her hair. It's so luxurious and like curly. Your hair is wavy like hers. It it can be, but hers looked really great. Um, yeah, I just thought and I was like, oh, I love that hair. I was pretty impressed by Jill. I thought that she is a fairly good actress in some scenes. And we we saw a flashback to her in Saw 3. Mm-hmm. Very quick. Very quick when Jigsaw is dying. And so here she's a full character and she has some pretty lengthy scenes where she's getting interrogated by Strom. More like abused. He is just constantly screaming at her. He looks like he's going to punch her. A yeah. Couple a couple times he gets, he does the banging his fist on the wall next to the person's <laughs> head type thing. I yeah, I felt like he was a little over the top for her. He, she didn't really need all of that, all of those theatrics. She seemed like she was giving up the information that she had. Yeah. Except later later in the movie, um, we do get a scene where Jill has seen the beginnings of Jigsaw's workshop and she suspects that he's maybe murdering people. <laughs> And then she just never tells anyone. <laughs> she never tells anyone. <laughs> so I guess that is a good reason to keep interrogating her. Yeah. But I mean, you know, they were married. So aren't they protected? You know, you don't have to tell people what your what your spouse is doing. Right? Right? I don't think that that's actually a real thing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw that on an episode or two of Law & Order, Kate. I don't think that's a real thing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and he, I, so this is one of the reasons why I don't like this movie is I feel like this whole dynamic between Strom and Jill Tuck, who is, I don't know if we've said this yet, but yeah, John's, um, ex-wife, um, it, it just, it seems so unnecessary and it seemed like they were breaking up this really great flow of all the traps, which they do, which is how you would tell the story. If you just went from trap to trap, it might get kind of, um, repetitive, but, um, you know, there. this backstory is just him yelling at Jill for so much of the movie. And I get really tired of it because it seems like 
like you said, Jill's not being combative. She is giving up the information and he's just yelling at her. And I, and it's not that interesting. I, I don't understand why they spend so much time on it. Um, yeah, that's probably my least favorite part of this movie. I don't like those scenes either. I don't think that they add anything. Um, they are ripe territory for flashbacks though, which we, yes. Every time they interview Jill, there's like five flashbacks. That's true. Great. So we do see, um, not immediately after this, but in the next interrogation scene. So we do have a trap where Rig has, yeah, Rig has left the, uh, murdered sex worker in his apartment and he's he's left like a scavenger hunt by jigsaw where there's a little clue card and there's keys and it just tells him that one key will save a life and one key will end a life okay i'm gonna pause right here though and say one thing i this is where i have a real problem with with riggs's story i don't understand why he is so complicit in all of this I understand that he didn't have a phone in his apartment and that he is freaking out because this woman's having her skin ripped off of her skull in front of his eyes. But now he has actually ventured outside. He can find a payphone. He can go to the nearest police station and get backup. He can do so many things, but he chooses to continue with this quest. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's a character flaw, I guess. Is totally. That, is that he he wants to claim and like we as the audience want to say like, oh, he's just doing his job. But I guess that he is so obsessed with resolving Matthew's missing persons case that he's willing to just be totally complicit, like you said, in, in everything that's going on. I found it really unbelievable that he didn't try and find another phone. Yeah. I think that they try and flesh out his character a little bit to show that he he is a little bit vindictive. He's willing to get a little extra legal um, when it when his temper flares. And yeah, so, yeah. So I think that you could say that. I mean, it's not really great characterization, but they're. I think that they're trying to make it so that he's he's choosing this, even if he wants to claim that he's not. Yeah, I I think that's fair to say. I mean, it's. I, I guess, yeah, you're right. You can chalk this up to just a character flaw, but I also think it's a little bit of bad writing. It oh, just sure. never felt believable to me. Yeah, I know that somebody would continue doing participating in this without any help, um, especially when they're in a position to have all the help they need from their cop buddies. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so sorry. Let's let's move on to the next trap. Look, Ma, yeah. no appendages. That's what I named this one. Ah. Oh my gosh, I love the trap names. <laughs> we have to go through each movie and do a blog post for our many fans so that they can see the names for all of them. <laughs> Great. Uh, oh, so Ivan. <laughs> Rig has followed the clue to a very seedy apartment complex. And once there, he has another tape from Jigsaw that tells him that he needs to trap the the man who's running the lobby and um he needs to feel what i feel that's, yeah that's the 
what's written on the walls by Jigsaw. Like he did this a lot in Saw 3 also where it was writing on the wall. Yes. Like the name of what he wanted it to be or like what he wanted the outcome to be of the trap. And then just making the trap about himself because that's what he does. Yep. Every single time. Rig does get this guy into uh, the hotel room and they push through kind of the secret door. And this was not a great trap. No. I would say. It was Um, silly. It was silly. And I took huge issue with it because it turns out that Lobby Guy is kidnapping or somehow um, raping and killing women. That's like in the pictures. Yeah. There's pictures all over every wall, just like in the earlier trap, that show this guy tying up women, sexually abusing them. There is a video that plays that that shows if you didn't get it already that like yeah. yes, it's definitely him doing this to these women. <laughs> they really beat it into your head that oh he's a rapist. God. It's so unnecessary. Like they have not had any key victims in any of these movies um, where it's an actually bad person, like a second. Yeah, leader. you're right. You're right. That's what's so weird about this trap. Yeah, he's especially as women watching it. It feels like, well, I, I think he deserves this. This is this is terrible, and it is. It's it's objectively terrible what he's doing. But you still have to sit there and say, is it fair for him to have his limbs severed and pulled off of his body, and also for him to have to gouge his own eyes out? Is that an appropriate? punishment and it's it's not it's It's just not and it sucks to have to say that yeah it's It's a a, it's a weird choice I think it's a bad position to put your female audience members into yeah because it's it's playing into this like rape vengeance fantasy that I think I don't know I feel like guys care more about that than women do in some ways or they care about it in like a white knighthood type way yeah it's this trope it's this trope that gets followed a lot which is oh rape is just rape and and pedophilia right especially these are the two worst crimes you could commit and so we're just giving you a chance to enjoy this to just revel in it and that's i it doesn't it i think it convolutes the whole questioning of whether um jigsaw's in the right or not which you know we up until this point we're like no of course not this is ridiculous and then you throw in this this weird rapist and it's like oh god now we have to have this discussion it really feels like in the movie <laughs> that they they escalate the types of bad people yeah in the movie because we see in a later trap that there are some people who some people on the internet might argue deserve to be tortured to death like we've all seen those facebook comment threads right yeah i and it does introduce a a moral gray to these movies because i think before you can like people would always say like no this is so unnecessary it's so far whereas this movie i feel like it tries to bring it more towards like what are our actual values aligned towards and you know if we're giving the death penalty for some of these things like is that than appropriate to torture them. And I think that, like, we, of course, like, would say no. 
but there's I don't know it's this weird contingent that I think would say yes and that's a little gross yeah I think that's what bugs me about this um the series is pretty I I felt personally very clear that this is all like silly he is he is really in the wrong here he's picking people who've really not done anything that bad or you know they've already served their time and he's repunishing them he's clearly wrong but in this case it feels like now they're giving us somebody to enjoy being thrown to the wolves and mm -hmm. that's just it it doesn't feel like it's in line with the rest of the series um but yeah it's kind of interesting having this chat about this movie. I haven't really sat down and thought about it to this extent, but I have never liked this trap. It has always felt weird to me. Yeah, I'd also have problems with it because I think it looks goofy when his arms and legs fly into the uh, four corners of the room, but that's a, that's a totally different issue. <laughs> the effects are a little goofy. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I rewatched because again I had this on DVD and I so I watched all the extras, but I rewatched this scene's extras and you know they they do take a lot of pride uh, the the set designers the prop designers the trap designers you know these traps really work um, when they build them. That's why now they they might work with a dummy or you know maybe the the timer isn't quite right, but they will they can kill you if, you know, if they didn't have their protections in place. Right. But, um, so they, they, they were talking about this one and, and how it would work. And I was just, it seems like the silliest trap I've seen so far, just the way the momentum that his appendages get right. Being yeah. like torn from, it just looks silly to me. It does really feel like they're trying to tell us that Jigsaw's mechanical engineering skills are just like improving every every chapter. yes that's what it what it feels like yes yes definitely this is way more um a, this is a very involved trap much more than you know that early barbed wire razor wire maze um this even involves a complicit cop getting him set up in all of the straps and he does it <laughs> yeah it's a goofy trap Probably my least. It might even be my least favorite of the whole series, but I'd have to think about it a bit more. Yeah, I think I would need to think about it too, but it's not one of my favorites for a number of reasons. Yeah. After this, we go back to Strom abusing Jill in the interrogation room. Yeah, and, and Jill not being smart enough to have a lawyer for and some reason. Well, maybe because of her experiences with Oh, wait, her regular lawyer is Art Blank. Ah, yes, thank you. That's right. That's why she's there without a lawyer. No so. backup lawyer. No, <laughs> not. He works alone. So we have Strom interviewing uh, Jill, and he's just looking at this point for some backstory. He needs some expository material for the audience. <laughs> so she has a flashback. So just to remind everyone, right now we're – We've had five traps, and this is our third flashback. Oof. Jill in this scene is remembering the workspace that he bought. And at this point, she is – Oh, yeah, his early craft station. Yeah, she's newly pregnant. He he built, like, a nice version of Billy the Puppet. <laughs> and I love that he made Billy the Puppet have glittery red shoes. Oh, yes, he did. It was like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. 
<laughs> so funny. it's so funny that they took a, a creepy puppet and then retroactively like tried to make it cute for the yeah <laughs> and it's barely works <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really an ugly puppet I don't know anybody who would buy that for their kid out of love I mean if I had a kid and you know I was I was buying toys for them I would definitely buy them that Billy doll but not because it's cute looking it's because I love Saw <laughs> <laughs> It's it's really an ugly doll. <laughs> They're kind of ooing and aahing over the workspace and dreaming of what they can do with it. And that's that's it for the flashback. And we don't really get more from this scene. We then have Rig, who he has a quick flashback of his own um, <laughs> as he's on his way to um, what looks like an abandoned school. So he he has a flashback to his earlier days pre-SWAT where he and Hoffman have been called in to check in on a potential abuse case of a little girl at this elementary school. And he, the, I think that this is where they try and show his character flaws. The little girl's testimony, or at least her account to the cops, doesn't match what the report report was and so they can't make any reasonable claims that there's any abuse going on and so Hoffman's like them's the rules and you know Rig is just he's hot-headed the I think it's the principal of the school is the one who's under the charge for it and he kind of like patronizingly pats Rig on the shoulder and Rig just clocks him he just punches him. yeah it's the it's the father it's the abusive dad and it's so he's so corny too this scene is so corny he's sitting rig is talking to the little girl and you see over his shoulder behind him the dad in the in the classroom kind of sitting there wagging his finger at the daughter don't talk and then also puts his finger over his lips it's so corny i thought that scene was so goofy Um, but yeah it's, it's his dad it's her dad. Sorry. Her dad. her dad. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know why, but it was hard for me to pick up contextually like where she actually was and like why they would bring the parents to the school, I guess. But I think that that's just to kind of try and make it mesh with the trap that he's about to go into. Yeah. It's, it's so convenient. Um, he has this memory of this couple with this poor little girl who's being abused by the dad. And and guess what? That's the trap he stumbles onto. <laughs> he stumbles onto this couple again, being stuck in a trap. I really enjoyed this trap, but did you have a name for this one? I just called it Ties That Bind. I couldn't come up with a snappy one. Okay. What'd you come up with? Um, I Okay, so I wasn't coming up with like fun names and now I feel like I'm so behind. Um, I don't know. The honeymooners. Oh, I, I like that. Yeah, or something. Yeah, <laughs> because these two are married. These are the molesters, and they are in this beautiful trap. I love this trap. It's great. It's it's great. They have basically rebar that is piercing through both of their bodies, and the husband is pierced through in parts of his body where if the bars are removed um he will he will die he'll bleed out and he'll die pretty quickly yeah and, through some major arteries and veins on his side of it 
Yes. And then on her side, they are only piercing in places that would be flesh wounds. So it's kind of through the meat of her arm, through her, like under her collarbone. So places that'll pretty grievously injure her, but will definitely not kill her. And the there is um, a flashback where there's a flashback in here yes. of the woman waking up the first time to listen to the tape to and she realizes that she has to um by freeing herself she's going to kill her husband and as soon as the tape the tape stops playing she just starts pulling yeah bars out of her she does not she even is like hesitate. fuck this shit <laughs> she just pulls and pulls yeah she just pulls them out and she knows she knows basically after the second bar that she pulls out that her husband is basically dead like there's no way because it's through his throat yeah and then see and it, again it's one of these traps that's like there is no real time limit you either do this and survive it and run away or you don't do it and eventually you bleed to death yeah so that's what she's up against i feel like i would wait that that one out if there's no real timer i'd be like eh, i can wait and see if someone finds us It'd probably be really painful though for a little bit yeah i don't know i don't know which is kind of what she does i mean but she she does go for it when she realizes that she has that control which is kind of cool are they trying to juxtaposition that with the last trap like to score points again or something. I don't know. I don't know. Very <laughs> they had three writers for this movie. Mm. And sometimes I feel like that can, I don't know, make things a little inconsistent, at least in this movie. Jigsaw's whole gist behind this trap for Rig is that he wants him to judge as he judges. He wants Rig to assess whether or not this woman who has been complicit in her husband molesting and injuring their daughter if rig believes that she's actually learned her lesson from this physical torture that she's been through and i feel like yeah rig plays like right into it he doesn't even resist it he gets his next clue that he needs to get to the next location and he looks at her and he realizes that he has the key um that would need to unlock her from the trap so that she could actually get down and escape and instead of actually just helping her and unlocking the lock for her he hands her the key and says you have to help yourself jesus very jigsaw it's a little unbelievable that he would turn so quickly (laughs) i i just i thought this was so goofy like now rigs now you're deciding to listen like just unlock her it's fine she already pulled the the poles out of her body just you can help her with his last part yeah and she did the hard part (laughs) he's just like giving her chores to do okay so just to recap the number of flashbacks that we skipped so we did actually have um another scene in her cutting in here of just again strom kind of beating on (laughs) in the interrogation room and jill starts to recount when she was very pregnant. She's leaving the hospital. John is there to pick her up. And uh, one of her patients, who's really mentally unstable, he causes her to have a miscarriage. Yeah. And we also, you're right, we did kind of skip some stuff. We also see Gus um, in one of these scenes. Gus from episode two. Yes. Um, yeah, he's back in this. But yes, she she gets kind of kind of beat 
accidentally. And Jigsaw, he swoops in. He drives her to the hospital. There's some really overt imagery here. You know, John is holding a cross next to her bedside. <laughs> and, you know, she's she's a person who's a doctor for people at a clinic. Like, she yeah. is used to helping people. And John, you know, he's kind of becoming Jigsaw in this moment where he says they can only help themselves. You can't help them. They can only help themselves. So this gives us Which now, is really helpful for a woman who's just had a miscarriage. I she know. was really pregnant. She was oh, seven months pregnant. At, yeah, that, that was bad. I was glad that they didn't do any more physical trauma to her to make her have a miscarriage. And I was wondering if they had written it to be like an actual attack from the patient. Yeah, like worse it, than it looked. Yeah, and then they just scaled it back to it being an accident. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't see anything about that. It was yeah. – I, I felt so sad actually for her character. I, for the rest of this series, I – I really feel for Jill Tuck. Um, I think I think they kind of screw with her character in in the last movie she's in, but for the most part, I this makes me so sympathetic for her. She loses her baby, and her baby was almost ready. Her baby was almost ready to be born, and she loses it, and then she loses her husband, and he's also crazy. Yeah, he murders and people, <laughs> and now she's dealing with Strom. Yeah. He, he flips out immediately. He immediately turns super dark. If you'll remember in Saw 1, Jigsaw said, I do this because I was just another nameless case to you. And then in Saw 2, I think that's when they introduced that Jigsaw was in a really traumatic car accident. Mm -hmm. um, and then they really start to expound on the idea of like live every day like it's your last, like cherish every moment. So, because he's got the cancer thing and the traumatic car accident and being treated illy as a cancer patient. And then in this movie, they're like, and also my beautiful wife suffered a miscarriage from an accident. And this is the thing that's actually starting me on my jigsaw path. So, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's like retconning his character background again. There's always something new to uncover with the onion that is jigsaw. <laughs> That's, so that's another flashback. We also see um, a really quick scene of Hoffman sticking up and kind of giving an alibi to Rig at one point. So it starts to build a rapport between them. You kind of understand why, you know, he's obsessed with saving Matthews, but Hoffman's also there and he does feel like he owes something to Hoffman um, for having given him a little alibi. At this point, this is 12 flashbacks. Oh, my God. Um, We're actually, only on trap seven. Uh, the next trap is trap seven, and it's a booby oh, trap. Wait. No, you're right. You're right. I misread my notes. That's actually traps uh, flashback nine. Yeah. For, okay. Yeah. Jeez. So it there's more flashbacks than traps in this movie. In this movie, there are so more far, than traps. Which is my big in issue with this movie. Yes. <laughs> well, the next trap is a booby trap. Um, we get the FBI agents, um, along with their team, coming in to investigate um, another scene in this weird school that's abandoned or not abandoned. Hard to say. 
And there's a room with some stuff hanging out that they are they are dusting and, and checking for prints. Um, and as one of the agents is is dusting, she's just barely dusting with a feather duster. Is she, there there's an arrow, like a crossbow arrow that blasts out, right, and shoots her through the face. Yeah. It's this horrible hair trigger. And I'm like, this is why I don't trust Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's an Amanda trap for sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is like what I expect to be happening all the time. Um, Yeah. So there's that quick little booby trap. Um, And then we cut to poor Duddits and his ice feet again. Yep. That's just kind of more. We we start to see here that there is a henchman who is – kind of keeping an eye on things if if Donnie Wahlberg does anything kind of screwy where he's like dangling his feet off the ice um the henchman kind of swoops in to knock his feet back into place and kind of keep him on track and really here I think is what we're doing is the checking in on the time so we know that there's some kind of time pressure happening the ice is melting a lot's going on over there but there's not like a lot of progress on that side of the plot Right. There's really nothing to report other than Duddits is getting angry and doesn't feel like participating anymore. <laughs> um, but we do get this other cool uh, flashback, which is back when uh, Jigsaw catches Se- Cecil. Um, yeah. And this was the year of the pig. He is at a year of the pig parade or celebration um, in in whatever Chinatown this is, since we, this is a placeless place. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, you know, the movie's way of telling us, oh, this is why there's pigs everywhere <laughs> because he captured his first victim during the year of the pig. I why? was going, I was why sorry, go they, ahead. Why do they bother doing that though? I don't know. It they, gets to a point where they explain Everything. Everything has an explanation. There's no fear. No. I mean, Gideon, the Gideon building that he's at, that he's named after his son or vice versa, it's a meatpacking plant. I mean, that's reason enough for there to be pigs, right? It doesn't, we don't need anything else to tell us why there's pigs. He has access to pigs through the meat processing plant. Yeah. But they add this in. And so I went to look up when the when the year of the pig is. And around this time, the year of the pig would have been 1995 or 2007. Okay. And this movie came out in 2008. Is this a 2008 movie or 2007? It's a 2007 movie. Okay. So we know it's not 2007. It could be 1995. I would believe 95 because then that gives you seven years between Jigsaw's first victim and the events of Saw 1. Yeah, I think I think there is a line later on um, that kind of calls this into question. Um, but, you know, and, and, and that's fine. I, I don't I really don't mind plot holes so much in this because it's Saw. I was wondering if in this series, does the date even matter? The series takes place in a placeless place. So maybe it takes place in a timeless place where present day is just some random date, not necessarily 2007 when the movie came out. So I, you know, I was trying to make 
heads or tails of this. Um, and I love talking my way out of loophole or plot holes. <laughs> and so this is my way of talking out of this plot hole. Should it surface, um, in more clarity later. I like that though. I think that, <laughs> you know, being totally divorced from space and time, like this is just its own story. That's why it has its own rules and the justice system is similar, but dissimilar to ours in some ways. Like I think you could, you could definitely write, um, junior year English paper about it. Oh, totally. And it would work. <laughs> <laughs> I might even get a B plus. <laughs> so after, so you're the pig, uh, whenever this was, is apparently when Cecil is kidnapped and it looks like it's his first victim, right? His first test. Yes. Test victim. Yeah. Because okay. the trap that he builds for him is so rudimentary. It it's is. Gross. I love this trap. This trap. So in this flashback, which I will say that this flashback is a flashback within a flashback. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is because we see um, – so it's a lot. So Jill is being interrogated, and she has a flashback, flashback. to Jigsaw recording and editing tapes, getting his first victim, who is Cecil, who's the guy who accidentally caused the miscarriage. He – he then has this flash to actually using the, and this isn't a flashback. It's just like a jump forward in the flashback. So to give you a sense of how long this flashback scene is. And this isn't what Jill has seen either. This is just in the middle of Jill's flashback. They are showing us additional details. So they're interrupting her flashback with more movie details. Yes. It's, it's convoluted. And so the trap that Cecil is in is really rudimentary. It's just a chair that has knives sticking out of it that are pressing into the wrists of Cecil. And in front of his face are meshed uh, knives. And they're literally just kitchen knives. Yeah. He has to push his face through so that he can free himself. And it's pretty gnarly to watch um just because it's knife it's knives on your face yeah yeah that would be so gross Ooh, it you know it reminds me of paper cuts they're just like really intense paper cuts that you're putting into your skin on yes. purpose yeah. and then it gets really awkward because the trap starts he's like okay go ahead and then he just starts walking around he just starts facing around the trap for a minute oh. before the music starts <laughs> I think that this is why they started taking Jigsaw out of the room for these yeah. on video because otherwise it's just a dude watching someone insane. It's weird. It's so weird. He just sits there and he's you can see him thinking, is this working? Is this what I expected? He's sitting there evaluating this trap and this man is screaming and bleeding to death. It's very awkward. Oh, and Cecil too, when he he gets out of the trap and yes. he's all cut up. It turns he, into another trap. Yeah, he stumbles forward and falls into a trap from Saw 1. <laughs> yes. I call this razor wire trap beta. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just just some just some wire hanging out in the room that he falls into because he's a disaster at this point. Yeah. And yeah. And Jigsaw's like, oh. Oh, I didn't have to do all this work. <laughs> I can just have a pile of razor wire 
hanging out for somebody to get through. Does the job. So we we then come out of this flashback and we're we resurface and we're. Oh my god, that was a flashback and a trap. Yeah, it's a trap inside (laughs) of a flashback. So we. (laughs) So Jill is asking Jigsaw like, "What happened to you?" Like, because she realizes she's come back into the warehouse with their lawyer at one point, and Jill and the lawyer and John were all part of this organization to build this low income housing and John is just he's turning into jigsaw so he doesn't care about it anymore. You can tell that Jill is leaving him or has started leaving him and it cuts to her coming back to the warehouse later and she comes in and it has become the murder workshop like <laughs> in the time that she's gone. We see- do get a sneak peek of that glass box trap in the next movie. Yeah, which I think is cool. A good detail. She sees that there are photos of Cecil and she just, she knows because she hasn't seen Cecil. She knows that John is becoming Jigsaw and she asks <laughs> what happened to him. Are you becoming Jigsaw? Yeah. She's like, are you killing people? Because I'm definitely not going to go to the police about this, but it would just be good to know. <laughs> yeah. Because of that special protection you have when you're married that we've seen in Law and Order SVU. Strom and Perez have been really closely on the trail of Rig this whole time. Like it really seems like they're minutes behind them at any given time, which that goes to show that there's some time messiness going on here because Strom can't be on the heels of Rig and interviewing Jill at the same time. So we have to guess that those are different tracks happening. Um, because we do see, um, at the next location, uh, which is the warehouse that Perez goes into a room and it's a trap for her. There's a tape, she plays it and it tells her to be careful where she steps. Yep. And that Strom is going to kill an innocent man. So it's fun how Jigsaw becomes like a little psychic spiritual guide for them (laughs) where he's like, I just know how you guys are going to mess this up. And um, Billy the puppet there, he's back in his creepy form. um, And she sees that there's something interesting about his face and she, she leans in and it explodes in front of her and just sends like shrapnel into her face. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Another booby trap. Strom, of course, is just like, oh, now I have to leave my dead partner here. And just continues on. So inconvenient. (laughs) And um, this gets pretty fun. Um, We do see Jeff from Saw 3. And um, you think as an audience member that this is a flashback. Right. And um, it is a little bit. We get a flashback to um, Lynn getting kidnapped so I think that they're starting to bring back this, you know, remember Saw 3? This is about to get very relevant. <laughs> and they've already given us so many flashbacks. So, of course, we are thinking, oh, this must be a flashback. We see Jeff and he's got his gun. He is coming up the stairs to Jigsaw's workshop. And we see Strom, who's coming around the corners of the workshop. And then we get the full scene of 
from Jeff's perspective of his wife getting shot, him killing Amanda. And then we see Strom coming through the workshop and he hears a noise and he comes through and it's Jeff and their timelines are connected. What did you think the first time you saw this? I thought it was pretty cool. I was like, oh my gosh, it took place at the same time. Like Jigsaw had so much going on at the same time. It means that. Very busy. It's very busy. Like it immediately complicates the total plot. um, Knowing that what you thought was all happening after Jigsaw died is actually happening at the same time that Jigsaw had organized the events of Saw 3. Yes. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. I remember thinking, like, wait, it took me, it took me, I'm kind of dense. It took me a while to understand what was happening. And I was like, wait, I thought that was last movie. And I just had to, it was like my mind was blown, right? It's so silly. But I had to rethink everything. Like, what was happening when and with who and where? Like, I had to go back and just start over, it felt like. Because it's like, when is this all happening now? When and Amanda's involved, like I, I just had to do some serious thinking because, of course, I never put this much time into watching this series like I am now. Um, and I thought it was such a cool twist. It was like a very different twist than the other movies, which I was super grateful for. So this movie, you know, I have my issues with it, but it does have this cool twist. I think um, that I, I do appreciate. So. Yeah, because it means that. The movie, which it opens with Hoffman listening to the tape that came from Jigsaw's cadaver, and it ends with him listening to the end of the tape. Yeah. And that's, it's a nice like bookend to it. Um, yeah. When, yeah. When you know that everything that has happened in between is actually in the past, which does mean that the entire movie is itself a flashback. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) We need some sound effects for our minds blowing all at the same time. Yeah, which means that whenever you're in a scene where Jill is having a flashback as she's telling the story to Strom and then there's a flashback within that flashback it means that there's actually three yes. of flashback happening yes, yes. <laughs> so this is like the first time we've seen a flashback within a flashback within a flashback yeah. it's our first <laughs> triple stack flashback <laughs> oh my god and and this leads us to our final trap of the movie um which is actually it was something we haven't caught so far it's been on screen but they haven't really given us all the details um but the this lawyer i think i think you can correct me if i'm wrong art blank has been the henchman the whole time um and he is hooked up to this neck clamp um and if if he doesn't make sure things go smoothly this neck clamp will pierce his neck and kill him yes the lawyer art blank he was also um, we learned this. It, he was one of the victims of the very first trap of the movie. Yes. He was part of two guys, one trap. Yes. Oh, the name is so good. But of course, Riggs is 
according to Jigsaw standards, being too obsessive and blows up the whole thing. Rig really, he stumbles through the room, uh, into the room through that unsecured door, just like Hoffman told him to never do. He said, never go through an unsecured door in a jigsaw trap. You don't know what's going to be on the other side. Yeah. And Duddits has been handed a gun. He has given no instruction. He just has a gun. But he does know that if somebody comes through the door of the room that they're in before the timer goes off, that they will all die. That's the mm-hmm. only thing that everyone in this room knows. And of course, our good officer Riggs comes bursting through the door. And as that's happening, Duddits cannot, I, I keep saying Duddits. I think it's funny, but let's, you know, let's remind <laughs> the audience that we're talking about Eric Matthews, Donnie. Um, he loses it and he shoots Riggs running through the door. Since Riggs comes through the door, Either way, whether he's getting shot at or not, uh, before the timer goes off, we get to see Donnie's trap finally come to fruition. Oh, and I love it. I love it. Yeah, this was, I forgot what the actual mechanism was of the end of this trap. I remember something like this happened. But of course, this whole movie, he's been standing on top of this enormous ice block, like, one of those ice blocks that you see in like a life magazine picture of like Americans <laughs> buying ice in the 1930s. Like a huge ice block. Yeah. And so of course this trigger like release pulls and two giant ice blocks <laughs> just smash Donnie Wahlberg in the head, exploding his head in the process. This one is such a cartoon trap. It is. It's so cartoonish. <laughs> we always pause it. Zach and I always pause it right before, right the the second before it hits his head and we'll do a freeze frame and then, you know, we'll hum the Seinfeld theme out loud. (laughs) (laughs) That's how we end this, this uh, episode with the Seinfeld theme. So good. It's so funny. And, and so Donnie's gone finally. It's been four, three movies that he's been in now. He's finally really dead. Um, and and you think Hoffman is, is going to get it. Um, we see Riggs reacting to what's going on um, in the foreground with Art Blank. And Art Blank is trying to explain to him, hey, you, you're an idiot. You did this wrong. And he's, he's reaching for the cassette tape that Riggs needs to listen to. Mm-hmm. And as he's doing that, Riggs freaks out yet again one last time. Pulls a Riggs and shoots him. Kills him. Yep, dead. (laughs) Riggs has helped nobody in this movie. Hoffman comes over. He sees Riggs. Um, You know, Riggs really trusts him. He's got this rapport with him. He's worked with him for years. And still, he doesn't get it. Doesn't twig for him until this moment that Hoffman is a bad guy. And he he leaves him there. He leaves him there to die. Yeah. it's yeah they they never address him after this movie Riggs is done finally this is also the last movie you ever see Riggs and it it never gets explained what happens to him I think we assume that he bleeds out yeah movies don't actually like doing that yeah and we do see Hoffman he then goes to clean up after Strom Strom does fulfill the prophecy and he shoots Jeff yeah, as he, as he comes through the room because he 
just shoots at whatever is in front of him and making noise. Which is fine because as we found out in the last movie, Jeff doesn't learn anything anyway. So whatever. Yeah. It is <laughs> bad that no one will ever know that there's just a little girl in the back. Yeah, she's just hanging out. <laughs> she's collateral damage and all this mess. I know. Oh, so God. Yes. <laughs> But Hoffman gets up out of his trap because he was not actually trapped the whole time, as we as we now know. It's very Saw 1. It's very yeah. Jigsaw in the room yeah. the whole time. This one yep. is Hoffman in the room the whole time. And it really gives more weight to Hoffman listening to the cassette tape at the beginning and end of the movie. It does. Because we now know that Hoffman realizes that Jigsaw is dead. He thought that he was going to be done because there's no Amanda, there's no Jigsaw, and yet he's received this tape that is now telling him that the games are just getting started even though Jigsaw has died. The end is the beginning, and the beginning is the end, I think is how they kind of wrap this movie up. So our tra- our trap to flashback ratio is... I think there were 11 traps. 11 traps to 17 flashbacks. Yeah. When the when the flashbacks outweigh the traps, that's kind of when I don't really enjoy the movie as much. Yeah, we should do a blog post with a ratio. Yeah, because data is important. We need to understand the why of our choices behind our favorite Saw movies. Yeah, we're scientists. <laughs> We're saw scientists. Definitely. Saw researchers. I, w- I didn't really get excited for any of the traps in this movie. Um, I, I guess my favorite was the ice trap at the end. I think just because it was so funny. <laughs> it was. I, I didn't see it coming. I remember they, they do kind of pan to the ice hanging out at the top of the ceiling earlier in the movie. But I, it, it didn't dawn on me till the end. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I like it. It's really diabolical. Because <laughs> you think he's going to hang himself the whole movie, but it, that's not it. It's it's the it's the the ice block squash. So I, I think that makes it my favorite move, my favorite trap. I like that trap too. I think that this one has a lot of gross traps in it. Um, yeah, they're more gross than clever. I will say that I do like John's jigsaw's first trap. Because it shows where his head was at and it shows like some of the craftiness that he uses. Some of the later traps I think are just so engineered and have explosives and acid and ice blocks. And like there's just so many like secondary props to them that just to see like an OG jigsaw trap where it's like you got to put your face through a bunch of knives. Like I can get behind that. What did you think of the movie? Uh, I enjoyed it. I think I, like I said, I think I enjoyed it more because I was doing this super fun flashback count. Like if you (laughs) wanted to turn it into a drinking game, it would be very easy to do for this movie. Yeah. Yeah. This movie hits a lot of Saw sequel bingo points, I would say, you know, with some of the cheesy dialogue, the funny transitions, they still do that fast choppy editing, um, in some pretty inventive ways. Like I feel like here in this one, they um, get more kind of like dreamlike and emotive in those fast choppy emotion sequences. And um, I had mentioned this earlier, but 
now that we we know and have like spoiled the big twist, which is that this whole movie is taking place within a within Hoffman's flashback while he's listening to this cassette tape from Jigsaw from Beyond the Grave. I think that thinking of this movie as like, oh, it's all taking place in a flashback, which is within Hoffman's memory, that's showing like why some things transition a little more seamlessly or have like really emotional transitions to them because they're all occurring like within Hoffman's mind and how he he is piecing things together. Hoffman doesn't really show his annoying colors in this movie the way he does I think in the next movie. We'll talk about it then. Okay, but, I'm not um, really looking forward to Saw 5. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would you how would you recommend this movie? I would recommend this movie to anyone who wants to make a game out of watching Jigsaw's games. I think that this one is super ripe for um, a blog post on flashback counts and like making a game out of it. I think that this movie has a lot of backstory. So if you're really interested in like the motivations of someone who turns into a serial killer, kind of like the how a normal person gets brought down into this level. Like there's a lot of that kind of storytelling. Um, But this is a a movie that if you never watched it, your life would be fine. You don't think that you're missing out on a lot. Unlike the other Saw movies. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) If you miss out on Saw 2, I don't even know. But uh, Saw 4, you can skip it. I think that you could probably skip Saw 4 and go to Saw 5 if you wanted to and it would be fine ideally you would skip saw four and five and maybe go straight to six uh, they get they get a little <laughs> at the end guys so it's yeah. a you can just listen to these plot summaries and call it a day i think so too who would you recommend this for i would recommend this movie for anybody who is interested in the jigsaw lore this movie is good for going into his backstory and getting to know him as a character um they do that in the last three movies well most more so the the last two movies um but this this as we heard spends more time fleshing him out than it does on cool new traps so if you want to learn more about who jigsaw is as a man this is the movie for you. That's Saw 4. Now that Jigsaw is officially dead, will we ever see Tobin Bell again? Will his name ever grace the back of a DVD cover for another Saw movie? We'll find out. Yes, the answer is yes. (laughs) In Saw 5. See ya. This has been Not Quite Dead. Make sure to check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, you know, if you're feeling a little wild and crazy, why don't you try listening to them out of order? It's not like the Saw movies make sense anyway. Or, you know, listen to them in order, as they were intended. Either way, thanks for listening to our show. Don't get sawed.